My guest this week on the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast is Nick Kemp of Leeds, England. Nick is the creator of PCW, or Provocative Change Works. He's never short of opinions, and he'll share quite a few of them with you today. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Welcome, Nick Kemp. Thank you for coming to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Hi. I am here. <laughs> How are things over there in Leeds, England? Well, things things are in this strange dystopian sci-fi type movie. I don't know when this will go out, but hopefully there will be some return to some kind of normality. But otherwise, all is all is well and fine. Yes, we are recording this in um, June of 2020. So the uh, yeah. COVID pandemic is still ripe and spreading in some places. and calming down in some other places, but certainly not over yet. So things Well, are... nothing like imminent death to focus the mind. Indeed, yes. I've often said that. So, so, so focusing our minds now so that we don't die imminently. Um, coaching. You, uh, you've been at this thing, you've been at this game for a long time. You were an NLP coach when I'm a uh, trainer when I met you 20-some um, years ago whenever that was. And uh, you've been doing various trainings for people over the years, but you were a business person before that? What, what would you do? Yeah, I did. I mean, I was involved in business from mid-80s until I started coming into NLP in the 90s. Um, so most of the work I was doing, which was in sales and recruitment, including setting up a couple of startups, both which went multi-million, so it did quite nicely. Essentially, it was all problem solving, but I didn't come across NLP specifically until late 90s, but I'd already been interested in personal change and personal development way back since the late 70s. And meditation too as well. Yeah, the background was all in the sort of like meditative state changing stuff. And I was always interested in what can you do with it, you know, I okay, I've read the nice fuzzy pamphlet, I've seen the nice pictures and the illustrations, what's a practical application? So my orientation has always been, show me the evidence, you know? And I think from that point of view, whether we call it coaching, therapy, it's essentially all communication and problem solving at some kind of level. Okay, cool. And so what... Uh when you go into coaching problem solving with people, do you have in the back of your mind um, kind of a, an idea of what you want for the client, for the for the situation, what your outcome is going to be, or is it all client centered? Do you just listen to them and say they want to, you know, get over this phobia, so you fix the phobia, or they want to, you know, do this, so you get to do that? I mean, how do you approach your? Well, I think to to start with. Um, from my point of view, I mean, I, I did all my sort of personal de development stuff, did all my NLP stuff, collected all the NLP badges, practitioner, master practitioner, meta master practitioner, trainer, all these different things. Um, and then went on, which we'll talk about a little bit, to meet um, Frank Farrelly, which was a real game changer in terms of thinking. And I come back to sort of like simple, um, simple principles, essentially. So when I think about working with anyone, um, the first thing is, well, what are they coming to see me for? Because there's no point in me insisting that they're going to be the next, I don't know, Elton John if they want to just sing in the local local cafe or whatever. So it really depends upon what, what they want. And then I think of things very simply, and I've used this template both in business and personal change, which is, okay, so the behavior is a result of everything that precedes it, which is basically how the person's thinking, which creates their feelings, beliefs, states of mind, states of emotions, that determines what their behavior is. 
and you have an internal world of what's going on, NLP is listening to this, will recognize you know, how they think, what they think. And you also have, important to remember, the external world, which is affecting things as well. So although it's a wonderful idea to think you have all the resources within to be able to achieve everything, it's quite often very useful to have external things as well. So we're really looking at what makes the difference that assists a person in getting to what's useful for them. So the other question is when people come with uh, any kind of a propositional problem, um, taking a view, is this something that's realistic? You know, is it something that's going to be helpful? Tell me about that. How do you determine whether, like, for instance, if somebody wanted to be the next Elton John, as opposed to just singing in the club on the corner, um, would you be going like, well, let's hear you sing, because I'm not sure you could actually be that. Well, I think context, context is really important. This is one, one of the things when, I, when I'm looking at working with people is to always work with specifics and not work with generalizations. So although there are huge numbers of techniques and things which are useful in both hypnosis and NLP, some really astonishing work over the years. The difference between somebody who is just basically getting by and somebody who's really skilled is someone who can get beyond the techniques. So rather than, you know, somebody saying, if you have somebody who has a fear of this, run this technique. Mm-hmm. Key thing is to, first of all, establish what's happening at the moment that is creating and maintaining the problem in terms of their thinking and what is going to make it better, what's going to make it worse, what do you want more of and what do you want less of. So in any problem, you're looking at, well, what makes it better, what makes it worse, what do we want more of, what do we want less of, and what are the variable factors? So if somebody comes, say, with um, anxiety and they say, well, I just feel anxious all the time, there's a massive generalization to start. Mm-hmm. Right. So in terms of working with people, often uh, the key thing is, from my point of view, is you need to be able to work conversationally so you can connect with a human being. You need to be able to pay attention to what's going on in the person's language and how, and their nonverbals, how they express themselves. And as my old mentor, Frank Farrelly, used to say, you got to really like people. If you don't like people, go and be an electrician or a plumber or something. Um, because then, you know, you've got to meet people at a human level. Mm. Okay. Very interesting. So, gosh, you know, you've covered an awful lot already. Thank you for all of that. Um, I've, a dozen questions within there. And I think I'm going to just keep it simple and say, you mentioned Frank Fairley. Um, yeah. F- for the listeners who don't know who he is, who was Frank Fairley? Well, Frank Farrelly created an approach called provocative therapy. Frank was working as a social worker in the way back in the sixties. And I'd heard of the term provocative therapy. I specifically heard of it in, in an NLP uh, training where the trainer said, hey, if you think I'm crazy, you should meet Frank Farrelly. <laughs> and 130 people leaned forward and wrote down Frank Farrelly. Right. Because and the NLP trainer was none other than Richard Bandler. It right? was Richard Bandler back in 2003. Yeah. And uh, my good friend uh, Andy T. Austin sent me an email about a month or so later saying, he's alive and he's coming to, le- coming to England. And I thought, who? You know, and we looked at it and it was Frank Farrelly. And we thought, wow, we'll book on this workshop, you know, thinking there's just going to be like a stampede to see this guy. Anyway, we turn up with 17 people there, uh-huh. four of whom we brought, <laughs> and the other half are split between um, NLP trainers and master practitioners and ardent feminists. And uh-huh. we're, doing, we're there to do four, four days training. Um, when I saw Frank work, I had no idea what provocative therapy was. I managed to get the book, but I hadn't read it fully before I actually um, did the workshop. And I was watching him work, and I thought, I have absolutely no idea what this guy is doing. <laughs> Seems like the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. It defies any conventions of anything that I have seen, and it makes absolutely no sense. And what's also very interesting about that, because I, I had the same response when I first saw him working, although I had read the book back in, she's 1988 or something. Um, I didn't know he was still alive. I didn't know he was still doing workshops until you told me. But um, 
But the first time I saw him working, I thought, yeah, this is this is a Mad Hatter's Tea Party. This is just nuts. What is he doing? But I will tell you, I'll tell the audience if they have never seen him work, that while it was nutty and crazy, the person he was working with was right on board with it. They were having a wonderful time. They had I've never seen anybody have such great rapport. Yeah, anybody as Frank Fairley. He he could just be f- like long lost friends with anybody in a minute. Yeah, you know. And I saw him do that with cab drivers in New York and the and the the hotel check in people. You know, the waiters. Anybody, every time, all the time. Yeah, amazing. Well, I liken it to a bit like when um, Eric Clapton, Pete Townsend, and Jeff Beck first saw Jimi Hendrix playing the Marquee Club in, I think, 67. And these guys were considered the best of the best. They went down, they saw Hendrix, and they just sat there thinking, shit. (laughs) 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 This is from another planet, you know? And I remember uh, in the break, in the first break, when I saw Frank work thinking, I don't know, I'm going to have to review everything. And I remember saying to him later, I, I said, I feel equally inspired and depressed. Mm. Inspired because there's something here which is way outside anything I've seen before. Slightly depressed because it means I'm going back to the to absolutely back to ground level thinking about how to work with clients. So the fundamental difference is in normal coaching, if you're working with a client and certainly with NLP, you'd start off with, okay, so what do you want? Mm-hmm, and yeah, you would set up kind of a grid right. for ex- meeting the person's expectations. Which is a perfectly good way to work, you know. It's absolutely, it's an absolutely fine way to work, you know, and eventually you, you get that, you know, yeah. one way or another. Right. When I saw Frank working, um, he would start off with uh, what's the problem, what's the and problem? the client would then present what it was that was a problem, and he would work conversationally with them. Yeah. And he would advise them all the reasons why they should maintain the same problem, which sounds a little bit nuts. But if you think of, say, uh, martial art like Aikido, you're essentially using the person's own dynamic energy to start to understand and develop some new insights in work. Right. Um, or in, in simple terms, best analogy is if you're going to a, a masseur, you're going to find where the resistances are. You're not going to get them to massage the parts which are already relaxed. So Frank would go straight to how the person's making generalizations and get them in conversationally to start to think about things differently. So it was a little bit like, um, I mean, I thought I was doing pretty well. I was teaching, I was certifying people in NLP. I was traveling around a fair bit. And I thought I was doing pretty good. And then I met Frank. It was like seeing the local magician and thinking, hey. And then I see David Copperfield and go, oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) I like the Jimi Hendrix analogy. But, yeah, I get it. I get it. And because it should also be noted that when Richard Bandler said that about Frank Fairley, it was not just arbitrary. Bandler and Grinder had, had modeled Fairley to quite an extent from my understanding. Yeah, they called him an excellent example of requisite variety. And what wasn't um, actually published, but what what Frank told me, because I interviewed Richard Bandler about Frank Mm -hmm. and Frank about NLP as well. And I also got to talk to Bob and Betty Spitzer, who knew um, Bandler and Grinder pre-NLP. And Bob Spitzer, who passed away a few years ago, was the guy who first hired Richard Bandler to go and talk to Virginia Satir. So there's a nice backlog of a lot of information and insights into how the whole NLP thing came into being. And certainly from Frank's point of view, um, oh, yeah, Bandler Bandler described him as the, we said, we see you as like the uh, rocket scientist of the whole field, psychotherapy and personal change. And And he said, according to Frank, you just got one problem. And Frank went, oh, yeah, what's that? He goes, marketing. (laughs) Um, but Frank was I mean Frank originally um, studied with Carl Rogers and you know was uh, knew people like uh, Spurgeon English and he was really from a traditional way of working very structured but his way of working with people was completely conversational 
And that's, I think, one of the the real, that's what makes a, a really good coach, somebody who can connect conversationally rather than artificially trying to develop, breathe at the same rate, mirror, match, and do all these things, which are okay, but somebody who can naturally connect with the person who's in front of them. And yeah, and as I will also just say, uh, reiterate what I said before, that he could have that instant rapport and deep seeming rapport with people very, very quickly. Um, it was also true that when I sat and watched him, listen to him, talk to the waiter or talk to the check-in guy at the hotel or whatever, that it was pretty much the same sounding conversation as he would be when he was working with a client. Yeah. You know? So it was baffling to say, like, what the hell is he doing? And why, after 40 minutes of this, when they do the, the backtrack and say, well, how was that for you? And the reactions and the person would go like, wow, I just, I feel so different now. And they would yeah. have this massive change. And they're like, what the heck happened? You know, <laughs> what did he just do? I had no clue. And that's why I think what you do, frankly, is, I don't want to say it's more valuable than what Frank did because Frank was such a genius innovator. But um, PCW, the, what you have created, Provocative Change Works, has a, a, a much more easily accessible structure to it that mm. can actually teach people. You know, from my what I've seen, at least, is I, I, can, I can say, oh, okay, I can do this, or oh, I can do that, or oh, yeah. I can do that. You know, there's a way and a means whereby, you know, I can, to an extent, you know, emulate that or, or imitate what Frank was doing. Well, the PCW model takes everything that was going on with Frank, um, but also it adds in a, a number of key elements. Some of the key elements that are mostly never taught in my experience in standard coaching and even NLP is firstly expression, you know, how people communicate in terms of expression, voice, tonality, uh, pacing things. A lot of it is a lot of technical speaking, but there's not a lot of variety in terms of how you communicate. Uh, the, the last actual, work, actual the last are you, talking, are you talking about actual voice tone? and uh, All everything to do with expression. So when I did my last workshop in England before the whole of England was shut down, I brought my voice coach who I've been working with for singing coach for two and a half years to do half a day with the group to teach them about how to work with rhythm, tone, expression, how to breathe, all those different elements. I'm just, people, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just a little confused specifically what you mean by expression. Um, okay. How, well, how people use sound when they talk to people, how people use tone, how people use volume, um, all the different elements that if you were going to be sort of like on the stage or if you're going to be uh, communicating with an audience or if you're going to do stand-up or storytelling, I know one of your favorite um, elements, all those elements that allow you to connect better with a human being. So in other words, and I suppose to put it succinctly, the manner of the person in the interaction. And if you listen to Frank, um, if, you, if you just listen to any of his footage and you close your eyes, if it's a video, you'll hear this massive sonic up and down shifts different patterns, different ways of operating, because people are responding mostly to sound. Mm. So you can have the same content, but unless you've got a really good delivery system in terms of how people are actually talking, it's, you're not going to get the same results. Interesting. Um, so that that's one bit. And the second bit, which in recent years I think is hugely, hugely important, but almost never taught at all, is the whole psychoeducation of when you're working with people. And by that, I mean how you talk about big universal truths as to how people, um, their own experiences. So, for example, if I'm working with clients, I might say, well, there are things in the past that you never thought were possible that now for you are effortless and you can do easily. And it may be that something came along or the universe decided – well, Doug, whether you like it or not, you're just going to do it. And he went, oh, actually, that's not so bad. It may be that you just one day thought, right, screw this, I'm going to do it. Or it may be something else happened. 
So the whole psychoeducation, working with people to show them that they're actually only ever one thought away from feeling different and doing differently at any point in time is right at the heart of any kind of problem solving. So all the language patterns, techniques, and approaches, I got thousands and thousands, well, not thousands of books, but endless information. But at the end of the day, it comes down to how you're able to connect with the person and work with their model of the world and what's going on with them. So the whole metaphorical side is very useful as well. So that they're empowered to be able to notice what they can do and they can uh, achieve regardless of having to be reliant upon the therapist or coach. Okay, big chunk of information there. Everybody can now lie down for 10 minutes. Oh, and yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So once again, thank you for all of that. <laughs> And I have a dozen questions, but I don't even know where to go first. But I, I am curious about this. Um, when you're doing that, how how do you know when you're done? Because um, if you start off by saying something like, you know, what's the problem? And they start talking about that as opposed to what's the outcome and how will you know yeah. when you get there? Um, the, the advantage of saying what's your outcome and how will you know when you get there is that you know how you'll sure know when you get there. So how do you know when the person's gotten to where they said they... Well, the difference is the, the idea of having goals, which is at the heart of many um, approaches in coaching, it's pretty standard, you know, what are your goals? The downside of that is it tends to be a digital line from A to B. So a person's going from here to here. And by doing that, it's always anticipatory, of course, because you're going forwards to something. Mm. The danger is it excludes other things. So often coaches can, you know, it's like, I, this is what I'm going to do for you, Mr. Client, you know, um, because it's worked very well with everybody else. We're going to unleash the power within or unleash the creative skills within or whatever. When you're working with the other, with the person, and if you're working with the resistances, mostly in terms of, because um, what you're saying is basically, when do you exit off the roundabout? You know, yeah. so you're not like having a conversation like forever, you know, with a person. Right. Right. I always say to students, start with what you know. So what you know is what they've come with is being the thing which is successfully maintaining, creating and maintaining the problem state. So doing more of that is mostly not going to work. No. So we're looking at what we change in the sequence, which allows the person to affirm that they feel different and they have a different uh, freedom and expression in terms of what they're doing. So what you, the only way to know is how they feed back the differences verbally and non-verbally in the actual session. So throughout a PCW session, I'm looking to clock systematically throughout what's the differences, what's the difference that makes a difference with them. So, for example, one of the main things that we might do is changing how the person's thinking in their head or talking to themselves. So we'll say, okay, well, if you think like this, this is what you're getting. Let's mark that out. This is definitely something that's happening. Let's explore doing this, and then let's see what you notice if there's a difference or if there's not a difference. That's different to saying we are now going to unleash secret technique, which is going to do this. We're very much relying upon what the client comes back with and then getting them to affirm what's different. Now, the other thing which is fundamentally different to most coaching and NLP stuff is every single session is recorded. So while you're recording the session, you're marking out with the client the differences that they notice and you're framing them so when they listen back, they're able to reaffirm what they've already noticed. So if you're doing any kind of relaxation work, you'll say, okay, so I might say 20 minutes into a session, okay, so what, what are you noticing so far from this? And they may say, well, when I do this, I get this, and when I do this, I get this. So if I'm doing any relaxation work, I'll frame it as saying, and as you've already noticed during this session, and feed back what they've already um, given me in terms of the information. Hmm. So we're working as much as possible to only be working with what the client is reporting in the here and now and not in in frank's work and in pcw we never give any direction to the client unless it's batshit crazy suggestions where they go well hang on a minute and they then reaffirm 
that they want to do something totally different. Let, let us just stop there for a moment. <laughs> so, so you don't give any directions to the client unless it's batshit crazy? Correct. Well, I'm not sure I, I'm following you there. Well, actually, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I'm not sure that our listeners will know what you're talking about there. So you're advocating giving batshit crazy advice. Well, you challenging how the person's thinking all the time. Okay. So when they when they every problem state the person has is through some kind of generalization or some kind of stuck thinking. So if we think about this simply, here, here's the end behavior. This is what they're experiencing in real life. The end behavior is because they feel a certain way, mostly. It's mostly how they feel creates and drives the behavior. Sure. You can't just get any feeling. If I said to everybody listening to this, okay, on the count of three, I want you to start feeling motivated, but you're not allowed to look at anything, listen to anything, picture anything in your head, or think anything to yourself. You can't get into the feeling state. So there's got to be something which drives the, the stimulus, which drives the feeling, which then creates, creates the behavior. So in simple terms, everything we're doing is changing the first or second position in terms of what's going on. We're either changing the feeling state directly by working with how the person is expressing the feelings or how it's running, or we're changing the way in which they think. So NLP heads listening to this, like broadband, super fast, um, reframe, submodality shift, all at the same time conversationally would be one way of describing it. But what we're not doing is we're not getting them to reaffirm what is uh, being a problem, and we're constantly interrupting the digital logical sequence of how they're thinking. So, so that's why Farrelly stuff. The Farrelly stuff is very improvised. We're just working as if you're talking to an old friend. So it so, doesn't have the same uh, anticipatory process. So by giving batshit crazy advice, what what's the... Well, what happens if you exaggerate something, it's very similar to doing um, uh, any kind of NLP technique, maybe like compulsion blowout or anything. Mm -hmm. It takes it to such a level, people go, well, hang on a second. I'll give a simple example. person comes to see me and they say, I just feel um, like anxious like all the time. And I go, what, like 24 hours a day, every minute of every day, even when you're asleep? And they go, well, no, not when I'm asleep. Okay, how long do you sleep for? Well, about eight hours a night. Okay, we'll knock off 33%. So we're saying 66% of the time. So we're always conversationally pointing out that every behavior and every feeling that contributes to the behavior. I'm here. Yeah. Did something uh, um, is a result of a sequence of thinking. Uh -huh. so, so all we're ever doing is changing how the person thinks in their head. So they change how they feel in themselves so they can affirm a flexibility in having the choice to be able to do something different. We're not directing them to be doing something different. We're giving them the ability to be different in that respect. So, you know, it's also very interesting to me that you've, you've pointed out that to feel an emotion, you've got to be thinking something in your, in your brain um, and talking to yourself in a certain way. And that, you know, one of the really cool things I've seen you do with clients is to do, I think we call it the voice tempo exercise. Yeah. And so basically you, you ask, find out how it is that they are talking to themselves to create the feeling that they have. That's a problem. Like, oh, I say, oh my God, I'm going to die, which is, yeah, I would feel bad too if I was talking to myself like that. And the really interesting, the fascinating thing about that is it's got nothing to do with the content. Right. It doesn't matter what they think. It's how it sounds in the person's head. Right. So, so if somebody's thinking, whoa, then they're going to get that feeling. Right. And if they're thinking, whoa, then they're going to get that feeling. Right, right, so right. when I first looked at this, coming from a music background, and my big interest at the moment is like in music, you know, and I'd say if I was teaching NLP uh, now, I'd say, okay, best learning experience you'll ever had is going into a recording studio or playing in front of a live group. <laughs> if you want to know about state control, that's the best way to do it. But how you sound or talk 
to yourself creates how you feel in yourself. And I don't remember any anxiety states in the last 16 years which have not had a strong uh, auditory component in them. And I know that this is probably, you know, burn him at the stake kind of statement, but all the work I've done where we do double disassociation or change the picture is, in my view, an attempt to get around to changing the internal dialogue. But you can just change the internal dialogue straight away, and it actually doesn't really matter about the visual element. Mm. Because you can't get, from what I can see, you'll excuse the pun, from visual straight to kinesthetic without going via how you translate it in terms of how you think to yourself in yourself. So just to leave that contentious statement on the table for anyone to uh not gonna leave it on the table. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it right up right here, right now. And so, sure. so going going Give back to the, <laughs> going back going back to what I said what I said before you went uh, um is that if I said, Oh my god, I'm gonna die and then with your voice tempo exercise, if we say take that same phrase and slow it down by half and reduce the volume by three quarters. So it's now oh my God, I'm gonna die. It has a very different effect. It like, has different, but actually, we would we would do we would do it com- we would do it conversationally. So I would say, okay, first of all, I want you to think it like you normally think it, and just check it's um, it's been a problem. So first, get them to check it. Then I would say, look, if we get rid of it, are you going to be complaining and whining that you want it back? Because I don't want to be getting any emails saying, uh, I want my old anxiety phrase back. You got rid of it, you know. So that's like to test their sincerity. Then I would say, okay, number one, I want you to think it like you're reading out of a magazine or a book. Just do that one time. Take a deep breath in. Number two, think it like it's a question. So it's like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Then I would do the slow it down, and and I would say, and, you know, there'll be big gaps in between each thing. Then I would say, now see it on a big billboard in front of you and let all the letters float apart from themselves so they're all different. And now, finally, gradually let everything go a little bit fainter, a little bit fainter, and a little bit fainter still until – You'll know it's not there because when you look now, you'll notice that it's not there. So that's the process. And then I would say, as you're now noticing what's not there, let something else come to mind that would be more useful and helpful. Just let something just drop in and let me know when you found it so there's no direction. When you found something, then notice the difference and only pick something that's really excellent, not some half-assed sort of, okay, good enough kind of phrase and in a future situation notice as you run the new phrase what's different to the old one so that would be conversationally a way of doing it correct and it's interesting also when you say to notice that because notice is not a uh, specific visual auditory or kinesthetic directive. correct just as we're really staying absolutely out of any kind of influencing directly the client that's what i mean by not giving uh, advice of course the whole frame is, as Frank would say, throw away your professional dignity in the service of the client. You're there to work with the client. And it, you do whatever is needed in whatever way, no holds barred, whatever is needed, circumvent all traditional approaches and everything to really get the person to a point where they start to affirm what's better and more useful for them. Got it. Cool. So. Nick, um, one of the things I've also very much appreciated about you um, over the years is that you are one of those people that I I, I, I notice not only teach what you do, but do what you do, um, which I think is so important because there's so many trainers out there that are just sort of reading from a manual or something like that. that they don't yeah, literally work. sometimes. They're literally, they're literally reading. When we say reading, we're not talking metaphorically. They are actually PowerPoint presentation. Good morning class. <laughs> right. So it's, I think, 
put your money where your mouth is, you know, test this stuff out, see if it actually works with a human being who doesn't know that this is NLP or PCW or this or that or the other thing. They just are feeling bad when they walk into your office and they want to feel good when they walk out of your office. Do they get there? Yeah. Does, does what you do work? And obviously it does for you. You've had thousands of these Right, phobia. Well, I'm interested in new challenges. I'll give a very quick example. Before the global death pandemic hit the planet, as luck would have it, I was uh, were, I got a call from a um, professor of virology that I worked with two years ago. Really? And uh, I worked with her on some grief problems, and she's like one of the top people, uh, certainly in the UK and probably globally, because she's referenced in all sorts of stuff. And she said, Nick. Um, we got all these PhD students in my department. I've got 30 students in my department. We keep sending them off to uh, counseling sessions. They come back. They're no better than when they, when they went. Would you come and do some work with them? So I went, yeah, sure. Okay. You know, happy to do it. Pro bono or come and do half a day. Anyway, we're due to do it. And then global death pandemic kicks in. So boohoo, can't do it. So I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll work on a Skype basis. They're kind of interested to see what happens because none of these people, bar one, have any experience of any kind of coaching, interaction therapy, nothing. So we're working completely from scratch. Um, And I just finished the last session. I did 23 pro bono sessions. And what was fascinating was in the first five, they all came up with something which – I've heard about, but never come across. It was weird. They all kept talking about imposter syndrome. Oh. Imposter syndrome, i.e. that you are um, exaggerating, you feel you're exaggerating your own skills beyond what they, uh, the natural abilities are. That's essentially the, um, the sense of it. Mm-hmm. So I was working, and I thought, okay, let's have a look at this from a provocative perspective. So with the first one, I said, well... You're absolute. Well, there's two possibilities. One is all the people that have got you to this PhD level of working, including Prof Stonehouse and everybody, they really don't know shit. You know, they probably just needed to make up the numbers and they thought, oh, well, Mary, what harm can she do? Just stick her in the back with a test tube. And the uh, client goes, well, no, I think they're really smart. Well, hey, you know better. Of course. So now they're in a double bind. They they either have to have to admit that other people know better, therefore that their judgment on themselves is not correct. So it gets that's a good example of challenging the generalization. Mm-hmm. Now here's the interesting thing. Every single one of these, and they were from like all around the world, they were from like Dubai, everywhere, flown in to do this course, were like super smart, absolute hot brain individuals the skills that allow them to anticipate and figure things out in the work that they do when applied to self in personal life are the very things that are problematic this is very very common so with pcw we're only ever interested in the process what's happening what's making it better what's making it worse what do we want more what do we want less of all the rest of it doesn't mean anything so um it was great working with them because they were super grateful and we would only need to do maybe 30, 40 minutes. And because they are so used to getting engaged into thinking, you know, they've got good, strong imagination. So you've got something there to work with. And they're also really invested in wanting to do a good job. So there's an example of just, and I, I agree with you, go work with people who are not sort of like paid two thousand dollars to come to the class go find people who really don't give a shit whether you're a practitioner master practitioner co-creator they really don't care they're only interested in getting something useful um and also like i would put kids in there as well because Mm -hmm. they'll just tell you what they think Mm -hmm. and that gives you honest evaluation when i used to talk to steve andres god bless him we always he used to say same thing as frank barley show me the evidence you know, if you think you've got this wonderful mechanism to stop all um, virology uh, viruses on the planet, I think it's wonderful. Let's test it. Let's put you in a situation and 
you know, preferably away from anybody else, and let's test to see if it works. Yeah. Now, by the way, there was a, a scientist who was, uh, I think, a, a hero in that realm, who who was the guy that found out that uh, ulcers are a viral situation, not not because of stress. And you know, so how did he how did he test it? He he <laughs> gave himself an ulcer. He drank this liquid filled with the virus that gives ulcers, and he got these terrible ulcers that they, of course verified were there and then he took some antibiotics or whatever it was that cured it and it went away and so yeah i guess it works it's like yeah put your money where your mouth is bud let's go well i'd like to see i mean there's all sorts of conferences and things all around the world i'd love to see a conference where you go independent group of people will select a group of clients come all ye skilled people co-creators developers Let's see how it works out. Let's see what the client report reports back um, yeah. in a live situation. But you know what? You never get anybody take it up. So You'll never get anybody this. take it up. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go there. Because I think it'll be interesting. But I don't. Uh, but I do have a, an interest of time. I want to get to a, a, another question that uh, I, I'm asking all my interviewees, sure. and that is. Um, it's on one hand, it is great to learn techniques to be a great coach, to you know help people to get where they want to go or to get past a way of thinking and feeling that has helped held them back. It's great to be able to do that for other people. It's also great to be able to make a living for oneself and yeah. um, not starve in the process. Um, how what what do you think would be an essential coaching skill? An essential skill of coaching for a person to be successful in coaching? Well, firstly, the two things are different. I mean, you can have – very similar to my experience of working with musicians. Yeah. I work with some fantastic musicians. They are just drop-dead drop amazing, and absolutely incapable of marketing themselves yeah. and yeah. generating any income whatsoever. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the skill in a coaching environment and problem-solving – can be really excellent. And we can both think at least of one person who's passed away who had a whole approach um, which was jaw-droppingly good, um, worst marketing in the world. Mm. And um, I can think of people like uh, Robert Anton Wilson, died not that wealthy. Dave Dobson, who I'm talking about, super, super effective. So the marketing of or presenting yourself out to the wider world to generate income is is a particular skill in itself now herein lies herein lies uh, some of the trickiness of it there are people who are fantastic marketers but in my view very very poor skills so the two things don't necessarily marry up but in simple terms if i was talking to someone i would say first of all you've got to define who you are and what it is that you do and as much as differentiated as possible is is smart Secondly, there needs to be some kind of realistic expectation. So if you think you're going to go on a 10-day course and then heal the planet, good luck with that. It's probably not going to happen. Everything takes time to develop. So practical considerations um, in terms of firstly deciding what it is that you are offering and assuming you have the requisite skills to do it, how is that going out to the, uh, the wider world? So good website, social media presence, testimonial, work with loads and loads of people across all different uh, demographics to get as much experience as possible. Keep learning and keep doing continual professional development to work with other people as well, like I do. I mean, I'll, I somebody said, what, you did like 26 sessions on BBC Radio for free? Yeah, it's great practice, you know, pro bono stuff. Yeah, it's great practice because however good you are, you can always get better. So. I think you've got to, Frank used to say, you've got to really like people if you want to work with people. If you want to monetize it, you also need to have, in my experience, a few different income streams because um, some things, clients' uh, sessions will go up and down like this. So you have, to, you have to have some business sense. And mostly, like with any business, create the what's in it for me factor for the client. So you could do a whole workshop just on business strategy. I mean, I come from uh, working in, in business, and I'm amazed that a lot of people, you go to the website, 
it's a terrible photo. It doesn't say what they do. It's the same quote that's used for every single NLP person or something else. There's not a differentiation there. Yeah, I get you. Let me just stop you, though, because um, that's really true. And um, how do they differentiate? Because a lot of times, you know, when you go to the, some of these marketing workshop, workshops, they say you've got to have your uh, USP, which is a unique selling proposition. Um, and so you talk to people and say, well, what's your unique selling proposition? So, like, I'm, I'm just the best um, trainer. Yeah, for rookie era straight away. <laughs> I'm really good. I give I give superb customer service. It's like, well, everyone says that. Yeah. You know, everyone says that. That's not unique. Even if it's true, it's not unique as far as a selling proposition is concerned. So you need to have a, a uniqueness about it. Um, and you also mentioned that, you know, that you've got to have a good website and, a, and savvy social marketing, social um, social media. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I run a platform with students around the world called the PCW um, uh, Deep Dive Sessions. All these people, and I've got people in Japan, America, Germany, Austria, Ireland, different parts of Europe. Um, twice a week we do – they've got book time with myself. They're all working with different types of clients. So this is like our research and development base. This isn't sort of – the latest golden nugget from the genius mind of Nick. No, no, no. This is, I'll say, this is what I'm finding works quite well. And one of the key things, which we won't have time to go into massively, but if we're thinking about any kind of client problem, one of the key elements in PCW is you say, okay, what is the nature of the problem? So if you say, for example, anxiety, you say, what makes it anxiety? Well, you need anticipation. It's a strong feeling. And you need fast processing to get the strong feeling. So you would then look for the counterpoint to those things where you're working with a client to get a lack of anticipation, lack of strong feeling, and a lack of fast processing. So we're looking at ingredients that create that make recipes for problems. Anger would be different. Anger would be more digital. Um, it would be more black and white. It would be sense of injustice. And it would be similar components but not the same. Mm-hmm. Jealousy would be similar to anxiety, but there's a comparison element in there, so it's not the same as well. There's a comparison element in anger, but it goes into injustice. But in jealousy, it's a sense of deficiency. So we look at all these different problems in terms of what are the ingredients that make them up, and that way you get a better insight into how to problem solve with people. Okay, so you want to become... As far as marketing is concerned, you want to become an excellent problem solver. Well, I think you, you basically you're there to help people in whatever way you can. Mm-hmm. And whether you frame it as um, hypnotherapy, NLP, coaching, or whatever else, at the end of the day, people really don't care. They want to know, if I have this, can this person assist me so this can be resolved within you know, a re- reasonable period of time? Okay. So, um, and you mentioned also before that it's good to get uh, testimonials. I think, yeah, genuine testimonials, not like from your mom or your sort of like your... Uh, well, mom genuinely liked me. <laughs> I think That's getting good fair. feedback. Um, and I think, you get the testimonials? Yeah, I think video testimonials are great. Um, but I, I'll, give you, I'll give you a quick example. I had a guy that I saw recently who contacted me not... uh, internet savvy so we're doing the session by the phone which is not ideal and also he's got a really strong yorkshire accent and the phone signals cutting in and out this is not an ideal set of circumstances um and he has massive jealousy issues uh now i know history tells me mostly what to look for but i'm not going to assume that so we do one main thing which is changing the point of how he's thinking when he has the jealousy and in one hour session. And then he comes back, I saw him him this week, comes back and this time he was on Skype and he says, I'm just amazed. He says, it's like a complete revelation. I just don't get the same thinking in the same way. Because once you've changed one bit, changes one part of life, you get a completely different bit. So I'll get feedback from him and mostly People like that. Um, there's lots of people there who really benefit from good 
good coaching where the person's really working for the person, but they're listening to them rather than predeciding what the client's going to get, whether the client wants it or not. So I think it was Ericsson that was saying, you know, like watch and listen is the most useful skills when you're working with people. And I think that's really true. Cool. Great. Well, gosh, I could talk to you all day. And I'm sure people could listen to you all day, but I want to respect your time. Thank you very much for being here, Nick Kemp. And if people want to get hold of you and find out more about what it is that you do, how do they go about that? Well, if you go to provocativechangeworks.com, you'll find me. Um, you'll also, also find me on nickkemptraining.com. Um, so I'm an, an easy guy to locate in that respect. And if you've got any questions from this, yeah, feel free to email me at info, I-N-F-O, at nickkemp.com. And I'm happy to uh, respond within reason, you know, not like an email <laughs> a day, uh, to any questions or, or things. Because I think how we learn is by how we interact with each other and how we share experiences. Very cool. One other quick question, PCW, that's uh, Provocative Change Works. Provocative Change Works, my mischievous sense of humor, love the idea that every time somebody says it, it's a further embedded suggestion into the universe. It works. It really works. Provocative yeah. Change Works. Yeah, I like it. And PCW, you don't have PCW.com? That's not a thing? Uh, no, we've got ProvocativeChangeWorks.com, so you can uh, find find us on that. I've got uh, like Facebook group, YouTube, all, all the usual things that you you would expect. Mostly, I'm if, if people are in, I'm working more now with people specifically who are coaches and therapists. You know, uh, psychotherapists mostly in, in Austria, medics in Japan. Um, I've done eighteen trips to Japan, presented at medical conferences there. But they must be really slow learners. Yeah, medics in India. Well, they're they're super smart actually. The Japanese are like of all the people, boy oh boy, they pick things up really fast. Um, just one last question. There's this guy that I've seen like around playing ukulele or something who, who looks a lot like you, but it's, he's got a different last name. Nick Cody, I think it is. Oh yeah, Don't, never lend him any money. Let me tell you, <laughs> that guy. You know, whatever he says with his little little guitar type thing. Don't give him any money, uh, Nick. Cody, C-O-D-Y. I think he's got a site called nickcody.co.uk. Just goes on and on endlessly about music. I mean, Yeah, I know. And he keeps writing songs and making new albums. writing songs and, hey, look at me and my little little guitar. Yeah. <laughs> nice hat. Don't, don't, do not go to nickcody.co.uk. I'm telling you now. Yeah, don't, don't encourage him. Yet. Don't encourage him. Just, you know, nip it in the bud. <laughs> Well, great to see you, my friend. Stay safe, stay well. All right. Hope to be back in in uh, live contact again sometime in the new year. Yeah, that would be good. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want any more information about today's show, please visit our website at www.essentialcoachingskills.com. Be sure to tune in again next week for our next episode and discover even more about the systems and the secrets that set the best apart.